Scripture reading. The, uh, today's scripture is uh, Colossians 3, verses 17 to 21. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Thank you very much, Ian. As you may know, we're in a new uh, fall sermon series, and it's all about why bother with church, all right? And so why do we devote all this time and this energy and give a proportion of our income to this local church life that we are involved in? Or perhaps maybe you're new to church or, or have not been a part of a church family, and it's just very mysterious, this whole church thing that people do, and there's buildings here and there, and like, what's the point of it? It just seems like a weird Christian club of sorts. And so depending on your background, whether you're outside of the church or maybe inside the church, maybe you're feeling like a little burnt out on church. Like, man, all this time and energy over the years, and what is it for? And it's just boring now. It's not connecting with where I'm at, and I don't know where you're at. But that's why we're doing this series is really to look at this thing called a local church is God's idea. It's been given to us to actually help us and to bring life to our lives and give us hope and deliverance from the forces that would bring us down. And today's specific title is about how the local church can help your family. In fact, it says, here's why you should bother with church, because it helps your family relationships. Now, if someone told you something like this, and they would say to you, look, there's one thing that you should devote your life to and give your life to and be involved in. This one thing would make your marriage stronger and it would make your parenting healthier and it would help your kids flourish. Would you do this one thing? Would you do that one thing if that was what someone offered you? Well, let me tell you, study after study after study and after study proves to us that regular church attendance and involvement being a part of a local church family like ours, it actually does this for most people. In fact, one recent study conducted by the Institute for Family Studies, they discovered the following, that couples, married couples, who attend church together regularly, consistently, have a higher level of relationship satisfaction than couples who do not. Furthermore, since a, a local church's job is to encourage married couples to pray, and we often do that here at Mercy Hill. We want you guys to be praying together at least once a week. Uh, the study also discovered that the strongest predictor of relationship satisfaction was shared prayer. Share, why don't we do this more? Why don't I do this more, right? Shared prayer is the strongest predictor of relationship joy and satisfaction. This same study goes on to say that if couples really want to be romantic and experience some romance in your relationship and marriage, you should focus less on Valentine's Day, which by the way is like a once a year thing for, for you to be romantic on, or day that you should be romantic on, and you should think less about Valentine's Day and more about church. More about church. It's more consistent. Kind of makes sense. Here's what it says. Couples who regularly go to church together report higher levels of happiness than those who don't. More than three in four regular church-attending couples, 78%, 
say they are, quote, very happy or, quote, extremely happy in their relationship. So one of the most romantic things you can do is take your spouse to church with you. Now, then if you thought that regular church attendance has no effect on your kids, like what's the point of taking my kids to church? It's got no effect at all. Let me be clear. If that's what, what you believe, it is completely, utterly false. In fact, it might be most impactful, most powerful for your kids. Uh, according to Neil McQueen, he's a national researcher of church attendance, he says that going to church regularly as a family has a dramatic effect on the life of your children. Dramatic. And this guy has compiled evidence from Duke University, Indiana University, the University of Michigan, the Center for Disease Control, Barna Research Group, Gallup Pew, and the National Institute for Healthcare Research. He has found some interesting facts about the impact that church life has on kids. And so going to church will... Are you ready for this? I'm just going to rattle. There's a whole bunch of these. Here's what going to church will do for your kids. And this is why you should bring your kids to church. Increase the average life expectancy of your children by eight years. Significantly reduce your child's use and risk from alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. Dramatically lower their risk of suicide. Help children rebound from depression 70% faster. Dramatically reduce their risk for committing a crime. Improve their attitude at school and increase their, church, their school participation. Reduce the likelihood that they would binge drink in college. Improve their odds for a hap- very happy life. Provide them with a lifelong moral compass. Provide children with a caring extended family, which church is a family. This helps your kids. And further study reveals that, you know, you might be tempted sometimes. I'm just going to drop my kids off at church and then go to Costco. I can't wait to be away from my kids so finally I can shop without them and get some peace of mind. And that's a good thing, by the way, peace of mind and some distance from your kids from time to time. But actually, it's best to go with them. And so here's what he said. It reveals that taking your children to church is far more effective than sending your kids to church. See the difference? When a child attends a church with his family, father included, especially the father, by the way, he is twice as likely to attend church in his later adult years. There can be no denying the power for good that being a part of a local church family has in your family. Now, why is that? As you know, life is hard. Family life is hard. Marriage is hard. Raising kids is tough. Having a family is kind of like, imagine a, a loaded down truck. All right, loaded down with all kinds of stuff and supplies on it driving onto an old, rickety, wooden bridge, and then you just park the truck there and see what happens. This truck and bridge represents you, represents your life, represents your marriage and family life, okay? And as time goes on, more responsibilities, more load is added to the weight of your life, and there's more financial weight and more emotional strain and there's more health issues that arise and there's more parenting struggles because sometimes your parent your kids go nuts and and if you try to go it alone and bear all that weight uh, in your marriage and bear that weight of responsibility in your family life well how long will your truck stay in that rickety old bridge how long will you be able to handle the load it's like a ticking time bomb that bridge is going to crumble if you're if you go it alone like that and so much, so much of being a part of a local church family, like Mercy Hill, is prevention. It's all about 
How can we stop you from blowing up your life? How can you help me stop? How can you help stop me from blowing up my life? You, you see, Jesus is, Jesus is the one who designed, came up with the idea of a local church like ours, and he gave it to you and he gave it to me to help us. And I'm just saying, embrace what he's given you. The church is Jesus' chosen primary instrument of his kingdom, that he ushers in the kingdom into this world. And just embrace it. Embrace the gift. Receive the gift of a local church ministry. As annoying as local church life can be. Is it not annoying at times? We're so different. We're multicultural, multi-generational. We're at different income levels. We work different jobs. All right? And it can be, we sometimes annoy each other. And so as annoying as church life can be, I am saying it is worth it. You know, this is, this is my story. I mentioned a few Sundays ago that in the first three years of my marriage with Tammy, it was rough, and I'll talk more about that a little later on. It was rather tumultuous, and we almost didn't make it. And what prevented the bridge of our marriage from collapsing from underneath us, you know what it was? It was a person. It was Jesus Christ. It was his spiritual family. And we confessed our sins to our spiritual family. They heard us. They gave us the encouragement and the support that we needed and the biblical instruction that we needed to make it. And so as annoying as church life can be at times, I'm sold. Like, I'm sold in the church and the value of the church. I don't trust myself to divorce myself from church life. I don't trust myself that way. I don't have the, the self-strength to navigate my own marriage well or navigate my own parenting well. I need the church. And it's Jesus' chosen instrument to help me, save me from me. Anyhow, I digress. The Bible passage that we're looking at today that Ian read is Colossians chapter 3. Very helpful, very clarifying. And number one in your notes, there's a sermon outline in your bulletin if you want to fill in those blanks. Number one really is the starting place for good things happening, for you steering your family and your marriage in the right and a good, healthy, flourishing kind of direction. This is where you got to start. And number one, you know, it's simply this. The starting place for a healthy marriage and family is to live joyfully and thankfully under the reign and rule of the Lord Jesus in your life. In other words... If you desire to see your marriage flourish and your family flourish and your kids flourish in the way that God designed your marriage to flourish, in the way that he designed for your parenting to flourish, what you got to do, you got to make King Jesus your number one. Not only your king, but your boss, your Lord, your God. You know why? Because Jesus, he is the source of ultimate health. He is the source of of good things. He is the source of, of where flourishing comes from. you got to connect yourself to the source. And we get this idea from chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 17. It says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And I don't know if you hear those words. Just let those words Sink down into your mind and your heart and your spirit. Do you hear these words? Whatever you do, with the words you speak, with the things that you do, activities that you do, do it all. Do everything in the name, by the authority, under the authority of King Jesus. 
And as you do so, you give thanks to God through Jesus. Here's what the author of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, is laying out. You see what he's doing? He's basically laying out you, how should you live your Christian life. And he is about to tell us the right and the best way to conduct your marriage, as we see later in this passage. He's going to show you how to conduct your parenting and how to conduct yourself in your workplace. But you see, before he talks about your marriage and your parenting and your workplace and your job activities, you know where he starts? He starts with a certain someone. This person is Jesus. And before you set up your marriage, before you set up your parenting and career, you've got to start at the right place with Jesus. He is your Lord, whether you follow him or not. He is your Lord. He is your King. He is your Maker. Start with Him. And if you miss this first step, if you miss making Jesus Christ your first love, your first passion, your first Lord, your first King, your number one, I don't believe, if, if you don't make Jesus your number one, I don't believe your marriage will go the way it should or the way that God designed it for. I don't believe your parenting will go the way that your parenting was designed for. I don't believe your job will go the way that God designed your, your attitude in your workplace to go. You've got to start with the right thing, and his name is Jesus. Let me explain this further. I want to talk about something I'm sure you're well aware of. It's a, it's a thing, a phenomenon called the domino effect. All right? The domino effect. Does anybody here love to play dominoes like I do? Good. Isn't it fun? It's a fun game. One person. Okay, my kids, of course. Ella, fantastic. It, what happened to dominoes? We need more dominoes in our life. And uh, so I love to play the, the game dominoes, but what I really enjoy doing with our kids at various times is setting them up in a row, okay? And if you've ever played with dominoes, you know how this works. You set up a, a row of dominoes in a row like this, and if you push the first domino down, what happens? If they're in a row, well, the next domino falls, then the next domino falls, you know where I'm going with this analogy. And in like manner, the domino effect in the larger sense can be defined as sort of a chain reaction for any sort of things that are going on, things that affect other things, all right? Think about communism. They used to think that it all started with communist Russia and then, you know, Vietnam and then China and all the rest happened thereafter. And so it's one, it's a chain reaction. One event sets off the next event, which sets off similar events. Now, when it comes to your married life and your family life and your work life, I believe all of us in this room, if we're married and have kids, we're experiencing some sort of domino effect for good or a domino effect for bad, all depending on what? Whether we've started under the lordship and kingship of Jesus in our lives or not. And if you choose to not start with Jesus, yes, that first domino falls, and then the next, and then the next, and then the next, but very often the result of you not starting with Jesus, with you starting with anything but Jesus in your life, it will result in you not flourishing in the way that God designed for you. It will result in you not living joyfully in the way that God designed for you. It will result in you not living thankfully that God designed for you to live in under the reign and rule of King Jesus in, in your life. You were designed for that. Let me appeal to your sense of logic and reason for a second. Does it not make sense that if you desire to have a a flourishing, healthy marriage, a flourishing family life. 
which this beautiful set of dominoes represents. That's the ultimate domino effect thing. And has anyone ever made anything like that? I didn't think so. I mean, it's, so this is just, let's imagine positive domino effect extraordinaire right here, okay? Does it not make sense for you to have a flourishing marriage and family life to begin with the source of all truth, the source of all wisdom? His name is Jesus. Does it not make sense to begin with the source of all goodness and good things? His name is Jesus. Does it not make sense to, to start with the person, the source of all love? His name is Jesus. Does it not make sense to, to start with the, the most powerful person in the universe? His name is Jesus. To begin with the person who loves you more than anyone else, else loves. He loves you more than anyone else does. Does it not make sense to start with that person? Of course it does. And I'm just saying... The starting place for a healthy marriage, healthy family life is to live joyfully and thankfully under the reign, the good reign and the good rule of the Lord Jesus. He is the starting place. Let us move on to the next key way the church can help your family relationships. It's number two in your notes. As is fitting to the Lord Jesus, wives, submit to and respect your husband's leadership. As is fitting to the Lord Jesus... Wives, submit to and respect your husband's leadership. Now, as you can imagine, this is probably the most controversial point for today's message. And just remember, this is God's idea. This is not Kurt's idea, okay? But I believe it. I agree with it. You know why? Because God's in charge. His vision for marriage, it all started with him. And why would I not want to do it, set up my marriage in the way that he wants me to set it up in He's the inventor of it. And, and so we have to trust that this is a good approach to marriage. And this will be tough. I have no d doubt about that if you've not yet wrestled with this teaching or not. But this point comes from verse 18 from Colossians 3. And it says, wives, there it is, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And what you need to know about the time and the context and the era that the Apostle Paul wrote this teaching in, um, basically... He wrote it in a time of the Roman times. Uh, Colossae was a Roman city under the Roman Empire, and the general thing that was done in Roman culture was that wives were seen as their husband's property. Wives basically had no rights, which is terrible. Uh, and so you were, as a wife, you were your husband's property. And so therefore, it was expected of you as a Roman wife to obey your husband every time, no questions asked, no rebuttal going on. You could never sort of, you know, question his authority at all. You had to obey, period. And that's what it was to be a wife in Roman times. It's terrible. But here, Paul does not suggest in Colossians 3 for wives to obey their husbands, no questions asked. Rather, he instructs wives to voluntarily, by choice, because you want to, you know, submit to your husband's leadership. Because you obey Jesus, because you love Jesus, submit to volunt voluntarily to your husband's leadership because it honors Christ. Now, I explain that nuance. That still does not satisfy some of you in this room. You're still not convinced that this idea of submitting to my husband in marriage, uh, you know, I don't like this idea. And, and, and I get that. I know where you're coming from. Culturally speaking, this is just, this sounds like, so traditional, so outdated. This is just a 1950s approach to marriage, and it just, it's just, you know, it should go the way of the dodo bird. It's just from ancient times. Let's get with the times, Kurt. I mean, here we are in 2018. I mean, 
let's just, just edit your view of marriage here. Edit the Bible a little, okay? Just make it easier, more palatable for us. Get with the times. But you see, the problem is, look what the times have done to marriage in our modern society. It's done some good things in some cases. It's brought, you know, rights to women. It's given all kinds of things, better, I would say, biblical ideas. It's brought that back up to the surface again and helped us in some ways, but in many ways about modern marriage and the way in which it views marriage, it's brought nothing but bad things to modern culture's marriages. Divorce rates have never been higher. Family breakdown has never been higher. Again, there's some good things that modern marriage has brought, but generally speaking, marriage in our culture, it's not going well. How many people do you know right now whose marriages, I mean, it's just, it's not going to make it. It's either about to fall apart or it's well on its way. How many people? I mean, multiple. I know multiple. Multiple marriages are on the brink. So how is that working? How is society's idea for modern marriage working for people? It's not working well. Why is this? Because Jesus is not the number one domino, you see. But secondly, I believe it's because they are not conducting their marriage according to Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 5. Uh, These are where the vision for Christian marriage is most clearly seen in the New Testament. And God has given us this vision for how to conduct your marriage in Ephesians Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 to help you. He wants your marriage to work best, to be filled with joy, to be filled with strength. Here's my story. Back to my story. The hard times in my marriage with Tammy. As I mentioned, it was rough in the first three years, and then we kind of set things in a better direction. But then our kids showed up. And our kids, we only have two, but they were born 15 months apart. I mean, there was diapers everywhere. It just felt like endless diapers. I mean, does anyone here love changing diapers? Uh, Maybe you do. Good for you. I hate it. I didn't like it. And, you know, but at that time, we thought we were forward-thinking Christians, modern-thinking Christians. And, And so we ignored Colossians 3. We ignored, shut the door on this idea of submission and marriage. I mean, come on, that's just, that's from ancient times. doesn't apply in the 21st century or the 20th century. And so our general approach to Christian marriage was the 50-50 approach. Everything's equal. No one's in charge. 50-50 everything. And we thought this is the key to a happy, healthy marriage. Or so we thought. And I'm telling you, during that time, we fought like cats and dogs. I guess we fought 50-50. Well, that's not helpful. We fought like cats and dogs. Why is that? Because the marriage blueprint that we were following brought nothing but fog and lack of clarity on what my role was and what her role was and who's in charge and, and what's going on and you know, who's, who's to be the primary self-sacrificial leader and all this. We had no clarity on this. So what do you think has brought us to where today? Yes, we still fight. We still have issues in our marriage at times. But we've come to a place where there's almost no fighting by the grace of God. And that's a miracle because we're pretty strong personalities. I, I, I'm an expert in stubbornness. And, my, you know, my wife is strong-willed, and imagine that. But by the grace of God, how do we get to this, this point where now our relationship with one another outside of our relationship with Christ is the most life-giving relationship and joyful relationship that we have in our lives? How did we get there? How did we get there? Well, had we not asked for grace and strength and wisdom from Scripture to start setting up our marriage according to Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 with, with Tammy, 
voluntarily submitting to my self-sacrificial leadership or attempt to be a self-sacrificial leader, we would not be married today. We would not be married. Scripture, God's Word, God Himself, Jesus Christ, using His Word through His Spirit, saved our marriage. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself here. I'm talking about this issue more in the next point. But you see, the kind of leadership that a husband in a Christian marriage is to demonstrate and show toward his wife is the self-sacrificial kind, not the self-serving dictator-type kind. No, no, no. Self-sacrificial kind. All right? The kind of self-giving leadership that Jesus Christ demonstrated when he gave up his own life breath for his bride, the church. So it's not the self-serving kind. It's the cross-centered kind. The Jesus kind of self-giving leadership. Notice what Karen Miller says about wives submitting to their husbands. And she's a Christian author from back in the day. She said this, You show me a husband who is rightfully laying down his life for his wife, and I'll show you a wife who has no problem with submission. Show me a husband who is rightfully laying down his life for his wife, and I'll show you a wife who has no problem with submission. Just chew on that quote for a while. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. Wives, there's one last thing I got for you, okay? Ephesians 5 also instructs you to respect your husband, verse 33. In fact, submitting to and respecting your husband, they go hand in hand. Submitting to and respecting your husband go hand in hand. And as a man and as a husband myself, I cannot overstate how important it is for a husband to be respected by his wife. Let me say that again. I cannot overstate how important it is for a husband to be respected by his wife. You might be saying, though, Kurt, you have no idea. Have you met my husband? Have you met my husband? He is a real piece of work. And he is not worthy of my respect. If you only knew the stuff that he was doing at home, I get that. I know many husbands are doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. I know many husbands who are all about self. And they shouldn't be caught up in that stuff. Many husbands are treating their, their wives very poorly. They're, they're just in a bad way. And by the way, if your husband is treating you in a way that is breaking the law, call the police. Call the police. If he's treating you in a way that he is clearly breaking the law, call the cops in that moment. But I won't talk about this much more. But back to this issue of respect. I've got to give Tammy a lot of credit. Like I said, she's strong. She's a strong one. She's a wonderful one. And the thing is, when we could see our, 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 our marriage was in a death spiral. It was going down and down and down. And until we, we, we stopped everything, we said, we've got to do something different. We've got to start with Jesus, and we've got to start with how, what the Bible says about marriage. And at that time, we re-engineered our marriage along biblical lines, and she had to make the tough choice, the conscious choice, okay, I'm going to start submitting to my husband. I'm going to voluntarily start to respect this guy, this piece of work. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve her respect. But here's what happened over time. I kind of grew into a person who deserved more respect. I gradually, by the grace of God, became a respectable husband, a self-giving husband, 
a Christ-honoring, self-sacrificing husband. It took a while. I'm still a work in progress, believe me. I'm still a huge piece of work. But thanks to Tammy and the grace of God working through her and working through me, I sort of became that person. I kind of came into my own. Became a husband worthy of respect. It was like a respect-faith investment that she had to make. Again, when I didn't deserve her respect in the early days. I better leave it at that. I could go on about this. But wives... Talk to Tammy if you have questions about this, about how this works. I'm saying this stuff works. And there's peace. There's good things. There's a joy-giving marriage that's, that results from this stuff when we take God's word seriously. Uh, let's move on to the third way a church can help your family relationships in your notes. It's namely this. And this is where we talk about husbands. Husbands, love and lay down your lives for your wives, extinguishing any and all harshness in yourself toward her. Now, there's no question in my mind that if a husband is conducting himself biblically, that you have the harder task in marriage. You've got the, actually the harder job in marriage if you're doing your role right. And if it's not the harder role, you might not be serving your wife and laying down your life for your wife and for your kids as you should. You should have the harder role because you're, you're the one initiating self-giving uh, self all the time. But we get point number three from verse 19. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And interestingly, Paul says this because in ancient Roman times, it was considered okay, it was perfectly acceptable for you husbands to yell at, at your wives all the time, to rage against her. It was fine to mistreat her. Because again, it was wrongly believed that wives, your wife was your own property. And he could treat her however you wanted to. That's horrible. And this is why Paul says to you, Christian husband here today, do not, don't you dare be harsh with your wife. Let there not even be a hint of harshness toward your wife. No. Yes, you will fail. Repent. Ask for her forgiveness, like I have had to do with Tammy. But let just extinguish that from your relationship. Any harshness, any sinful anger, it doesn't help. This makes things worse. Then elsewhere, in Ephesians 5, verse 25, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is why Christian husbands have the harder and the more challenging role in marriage. Because it's your job to do what Christ did for his bride, the church. It's your job. Just as Jesus laid down his life breath for the church, so must you lay down your life constantly, day in, day out, moment by moment, for your wife. You'll do this very imperfectly. We ask for continued grace for our shortcomings, but we lay down our life for our wife. And so the essence of what it looks like for you, husband, Christian husband, to lead and to love and to give yourself up for her and lay down your life for your wife is this. If you want to, in one little nutshell statement, what this looks like is this. It's you taking responsibility for, it's you initiating, making things better for your wife and your children, if you have children. You taking constant initiative to make things better for her and for your kids, if you have kids. That's our job. In other words, if things are bad in your marriage, if things are bad with your kids, your kids are going sideways, going nuts. If things are going bad financially, you are the, the first one. Because you're all about taking initiative to make things better 
for those in your family. You are the first one to initiate, let's make a plan that's going to make, make things better. I'm going to, going to initiate making things better for you. Uh, it's not about you. It's not for you. Marriage is not for you. It's about you serving others like Jesus. So take the hit. Do whatever it takes. You take the hit. Not your wife. You take the hit. You initiate love. You initiate constantly taking responsibility. You initiate serving. You initiate using kind words. And you initiate romance. You you initiate making things better for your family. That's your job. Like Jesus made things better for his family. Let me say this. And this is going to be harsh. And send the, the hate mail to, I don't know, me, I guess. There's nothing worse. This is a bit of an overstatement. It is an overstatement, but I'll say it. There's nothing worse than a passive, lazy, responsibility-avoiding Christian husband. Nothing worse. Partially because your son, if you have a son, guess who he's looking to for his template for his future marriage? You. But a passive husband is terrible. Because your poor wife, you know what she's having to do? She's picking up all the slack. Taking up all the slack. She probably has to do everything. She is the one managing the finances. She is the one discipling the kids, reading the Bible stories, praying with the kids, helping them learn the ways of Jesus, because you're not doing that. She is the one probably cooking and cleaning all the time. She is the one taxing the kids around, driving them to this and that and the other thing. She is the, the primary emotional nurturer and family counselor and an emotional support for the kids and on and on and on and on and on it goes all the things that she has to do because you won't do it or you won't help out and so if your poor wife by necessity I mean she has to lead if you don't lead who's going to lead so very often by necessity she has to step in and take initiative for everything well that's not fair that's not right that's not how God designed a Christian marriage to look like it's simply not not fair at all and it will be exceedingly so if you are a passive husband here today you are making it very difficult for her to respect you and instead let's make it easy for her to respect us and of course we all fail do we not all of us husbands in this room we fail every day and so we come back to Jesus forgive me confess our sins get the support we need accountability we need from other guys in the church and we keep, we keep laying it out, keep pouring our lives out for our family, and we start again. All right, let me just say this one last thing. I think I'm getting, this could be a, I'm going to try to bring this in for a landing within five minutes. But anyhow, let me just say this. Before you guys feel totally guilt-ridden and feel like, feeling like I just punched everybody in the gut, uh, let me just say, over the years since we started this church almost 12 years ago, we have tried to develop a culture of guys making things, initiating to make things better for their wives, like Jesus made better, things better for his family, the church. And over the years, we have seen guys actually do this sort of thing, and it's fantastic. And you're doing it imperfectly, but by the grace of God, you're laying down your lives for your wives and for your kids. We're well on our way by the grace of God. Let's keep it up. Let's keep it up. Let's move on. For the sake of time, I want to give you two final points very quick, fairly quickly. Number four is all about your kids. And I wish my kids were in the room. I don't think they are anymore, but anyhow, uh, what can you do? Number four is simply this. Children, obey your parents since it pleases the Lord. Children, obey your parents since it pleases the Lord. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. All right, elsewhere, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And the running joke in my household is I tell, I tell my kids, you know what my favorite Bible passage is? It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And uh, they don't laugh anymore when I say that. But anyhow, they used to. And my wife just sort of, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyhow, these verses from Scripture were the first three verses that I had my kids memorize. All right? And I got the idea from Paul David Tripp, a favorite author of mine. And this is brilliant because for years, even to this day, when my kids sort of resist obeying mom or resist obeying dad, all I have to now say is, but what does Ephesians 6.1 say? And when they were younger, they had little more chipmunk-type voices, and uh, it was so cute. And uh, what does Ephesians 6.1 say in this moment of dis- potential disobedience? And they would say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm just like, that's music to my ears. Don't you forget it, all right? Okay, and caref- you have to do this carefully and with humor and that sort of thing. Don't, don't shove this down their throat. That doesn't help. And so the earlier, though, you teach your kids this biblical principle, this is an idea from God, and, and teach them this principle with love and grace and compassion, the earlier you teach them this idea and this commandment from God, the better. It's the idea of first-time obedience, not three strikes, three strikes you're out obedience. First-time obedience. And when you train your kids, you obey mom and dad the first time. That's fantastic. That's life-giving. That's brilliant. And it's a wonderful thing. What a joy when that occurs. Last point in your notes that I want to share with you about how a church can help your family relationships is this. Fathers, don't provoke or be sinfully angry with your kids lest they become discouraged. Verse 21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And it's like, I am coming in for a landing here. Uh, The problem is sometimes we dads get into very unhealthy emotional patterns with our kids, and we don't even see it anymore. We get into these bad habits. And so dads, your sinful anger with your kids, it is so damaging, actually. It's so debilitating. You know, you're physically bigger, you're stronger. We are easily, we easily intimidate our kids if we're not careful, and that's not good. You don't want to be someone who intimidates your kids. Uh, it makes them fearful, you know, for their well-being. That's not good. So please don't scare your kids with your anger. If you do, they'll probably only resent you and possibly hate you in the long run. So let us pray. Let us ask Jesus, infuse me with more love, with more understanding, more grace, more patience, more emotional self-control as we guide, as I try to instruct, as I try to uh, parent my little ones. Would you pray with me as we bring this to a close? Lord God, as I teach these things, I'm feeling convicted of all the areas that I fail in, in my marriage and with my parenting. And we need your daily help, your daily grace to help us live out the vision for Christian marriage that you've given us and the vision for Christian parenting that you've given us in these passages. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us for our sinful anger. Forgive us for those words that we've used to tear down our spouses or our kids. We need your daily help. We need the help of the, our local church family uh, to, to be encouraged, to keep on going, uh, to pursue your idea of marriage and parenting instead of the world's idea of marriage and parenting. Help us, Lord. Save us from ourselves. Thank you for giving us the local church to be that place of encouragement and support as we uh, try to bear these responsibilities. Lord, as we come to the Lord's uh, t- table today, we remember and celebrate 
the gospel, all that you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for living our perfect life for us in our place. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins in our place, being forsaken for our sins in our place, and then rising from the dead three days later to defeat Satan's sin and death on our behalf forevermore. We love you and we praise you. We worship you in Christ's name. Amen.